Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Hello and welcome to another episode of Montana's Peer Network's Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Andy Daniel, the social media coordinator for MPN. Uh, This is one of our spotlight podcasts and I'm here with Rosie and Ryan from Grand Street Theater who are with uh, Every Brilliant Thing, which is a show that is traveling across Montana this summer. Welcome, guys. Hi. How did you first find the show? Uh, Well, I, uh, my friend Cal Poole, who's the managing director at Grand Street Theater in Helena, um, he sent me the play to read uh, over email one weekend after we had had a little conversation about it. And um, I read a lot of plays every year. He was interested in having me come from Missoula, which is where I live, and direct um, Every Brilliant Thing. And I took a look at it, uh, read it quickly in one night, and immediately fell in love with the piece. Cried and laughed for three days straight, and knew immediately that um, I wanted to do something different, that I really wanted to be a part of the production um, uh, by being on stage rather than directing, which is something I don't do as often anymore. <laughs> but uh, with this piece, uh, it just hit me in a very personal and um, intense way. And I, I couldn't imagine not living with this piece for a while. Great. How about you, Ryan? I was uh, kind of living between Atlanta and New York City. And... Uh, had not auditioned for anything in a few years. Um, I am a writer, uh, so I, as a result, am very picky about <laughs> projects that I get involved with as an actor. Um, a little bit judgmental. And uh, it was this past December, and I had just uh, re-upped my backstage account and uh, was looking for things to audition for, and I came across this, and it sort of blew my mind. Um, in that the thing that I get most excited about with any project, um, whether that's working as an educator, um, I was working as a tour guide for a while in New York, uh, is just that it sort of covers more than one base, that it serves more than one purpose. So as far as acting jobs go, unfortunately, like a lot of times, it's things that might be really fun personally to do, but... um, don't feel that meaningful or uh, like they're actually contributing something in a way where if I were doing something else, um, I would feel like I was actually helping uh, society be a better place. And so it feels weird to set aside time to work on acting projects that are not uh, holistic in a, in a certain way, that are not... Mm-hmm. Um, engaged spiritually or politically or socially. Uh, And so when I came across this, I uh, buckled down and spent a few hours on my video audition. And um, then I got a call uh, about a month later. 
So Rosie's from Montana, and you said Atlanta and New York? Yeah, uh, mostly a New Yorker. So I grew up uh, just outside of the city in Southern Connecticut, um, and then have kind of been looking for a, a new place. I've, I've spent most of most of my adult life in New York City, um, but I have roots in Montana. So my father uh, grew up in western Montana in a town called Thompson Falls. So I used to visit my grandparents there when I was a kid, and uh, so my uncles are. Uh, Pretty involved in their respective communities here. My uh, my uncle Tom was uh, ran the newspaper uh, in Thompson Falls, took it over from my grandfather, and then my uncle Jack uh, has worked in the school system for a long time. He's the superintendent of schools of Flathead County. Uh, so I have a lot of love for the state. And um, once upon a time, I dropped out of acting school and kind of needed uh, a little fresh air and wanted to do some do some writing and uh, kind of reconsider. My options career-wise, and uh, and so I went and, and lived uh, with my uncle Tom for three months, and um, kind of fell in love with the state. Cool. Yeah. Rosie, you said that you laughed and cried for three days when you read it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your initial reaction to the show? Uh, yeah, I had. Um, I didn't expect to fall in love with it so quickly. Uh, Cal was so passionate about it and um, handed me the script and I came home and thought, oh, I'll, I'll read a little bit. It was Sunday night. And, um, you know, in the next week or so, when I get some time off, I'll finish the script. And it was just one of those page turners that I was up uh, half the night and reading it multiple times right off the bat. And what I found is rarely have I seen a piece of theater that had such such depth and poignancy, but also carried the humor and levity um, with dealing with such a serious subject. Of course, this piece is about mental health, uh, mental illness, and suicide. And in order to do that in a play without uh, triggering, without um, leading the audience in one of those positions where they have felt blindsided by things or walk away with those heavy hearts, this particular piece uses humor uh, and levity in a way which I really respected and related to. I think that I use humor as a main coping skill in my <laughs> life. And there was something about this piece that just really, it spoke to me um, and made me so relieved to finally see something that felt closer to my language in theater. Uh, most of the things that I've been able to do activism-wise in the theater have um, have come to, from my own writing and from my own experience. And uh, I'm not the most amazing playwright. I'm not as good of a writer as Ryan is. Um, so it was a relief to find something that was closer to my language that also had uh, such a national buzz at the time or international buzz at the time. Um, the HBO video was out at that time. Um, people were talking about it quite a bit. Uh, we hadn't had a production yet in Montana, but everyone was amping up for that idea. And on top of that, knowing that this, uh, that Montana is still number one in the nation for suicide completion, really felt like this play needed to be done now. And that was part of that three-day, I don't know, intensity that I was feeling was that idea that 
every once in a while I find a play that that like is time sensitive that I felt like we need to get on this we need to get the funding we need to get this piece happening now because the state needs to see it uh, and I don't want this opportunity to pass um, and be five or six years from now and finally producing this in Montana we need to get this in this state in these communities as soon as possible Ryan what spoke to you about this script and Helped you make the decision to audition? Sure. Uh, honestly, at first it was, I, I didn't really know the full scope of the play. I hadn't heard of it, and I and at first only read the audition sides, uh, which were pretty extensive. They were, mm-hmm. they were pretty good chunks of the, of the play. And then hearing what the, uh, what the nature of the tour was going to be, what the mission was. Uh, but honestly, at first it was just uh, good writing. It, there are any auditioning actors out there, you know that that's a rarity. Um, that that you get excited about just wanting to wanting to read the rest of the piece um, mm-hmm. yeah. when you when you see a part of it. Um, and so so as I was rehearsing it, it was really that that uh, rehearsing for the audition. It was really that uh, the breadth of it. It was really the complexity of it. The the ability to um, you know, to encompass good storytelling uh, with humor and with uh, nuance and uh, intelligence. So, so yeah, initially it was that. And then once I had um, spoken to, to Rosie uh, and the managing director from, from Grand Street on the phone, uh, as I guess they were narrowing down the pool of actors, then I read the full script and it was uh, was sort of it really moved me. Honestly, I don't know if we're ready to uh, to to get heavy, but um, it was uh, it was in January and um, uh, at least on the East Coast, in my experience, I get uh, pretty pretty gnarly seasonal depression. Yeah, it was January and I was looking for work um, and I'm forty. I was. 40 years old at the time, mm-hmm. um, 41 now, and um, was kind of looking at, uh, you know, low-paying, entry-level yeah. jobs, um, as actors do from time to time. I don't know, it was just feeling a little bit uh, of despair and kind of uh, hopelessness, and as far as the timing that Rosie was referring to goes, um, that was uh, personally uh, really sort of uh, inexplicable and moving to me that um, that in this moment of, of just wondering, asking existential, like, large questions yeah. and feeling um, underemployed, <laughs> uh, that, that uh, this play, which is literally about, you know, all of the, the small things that make life worth living, uh, came came along. Um, it became pretty, it became pretty essential uh, for me to... Uh, to try and get the job. I think the university's telling you something. Yeah, absolutely. At the risk of, you know, sounding sounding, uh, magical. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about the script? Ooh, yes. Uh, So Duncan McMillan is the writer. He um, took a bunch of his uh, personal experiences as well experiences of friends and family, and he had written a short story, and then employed his friend Johnny Donahoe, who is a brilliant stand-up comedian in the UK, uh, to help him revise it and rewrite it into a play. And the two of them um, debuted it at the Edinburgh Festival, and since then have been working it and reworking it 
for a while. Uh, it is about uh, the story of a child who, at seven, their mother uh, attempts suicide for the first time. And they begin a, a list of every brilliant thing about the world in order to cope with this idea in their family, um, this experience. And then we follow this particular child throughout their life, storytelling-wise, in their experience of what that looked like the rest of their existence till now, uh, how that manifested in their relationship, um, and in their family. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so the, the list is sort of the storytelling yeah. device throughout it, where you are uh, starting with you know, number one on the list at, at seven years old, ice cream. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you follow that list, which the, the main character continues. And just to clarify, Rosie and I uh, take turns playing mm -hmm. playing that main character. You, you follow that list through you know, what, what all of a sudden uh, a brilliant thing means to the character in high school and then in college, and then falling in love, and getting married. Spoiler alert, um, the, marriage, <laughs> the marriage falling apart. Uh, and so through all of these ups and downs mm -hmm. throughout life, um, having that, that reference point for the character, which to me um, is, is an analog for any number of things, but, uh, but personally for, for artwork, for having a, mm -hmm. a medium, for having a, a practice that um, is outside of yourself that's outside of your head that yeah. um that you can refer back to um as a touchstone yeah well and something that's really unique about this show is that it's not just one of you standing up there on the <laughs> stage for an hour there's no there's audience uh participation but mm -hmm. it's in a nice it's gentle. It's, it's gentle. That's, that's a good that's word. It's, it's gentle. Yeah. It's um you know you don't have to come up with stuff on your own. Mm -hmm. We don't embarrass you too much uh i think you guys are probably good at reading who would be open to yeah. more involvement but um yeah ryan and i uh greet the audience for the first half hour and pass out cards um uh, from our list of every brilliant thing asking people to read them during the show for us and during that time we get to gauge you know who is viable who's interested in kind of interacting and who is more comfortable being a passive audience member? Uh, so there's active and passive audience members. We try to make it uh, low danger and gentle and as easy as possible, as well as community driven. It really gets the idea across that, um, that we're all connected and that there's always some point of identification for all of us. And that really part of the answer is to relate rather than compare when it comes to our lives. And our relationships and communities. Ryan, can you talk about how the tour has been so far? You guys have been what out two weeks now, no, something like that. Three, no, you guys are losing weeks. track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just we over started. Two weeks. Uh, so we've done twelve shows oh. uh, so far, but uh, but yeah, on the road for. Um, about 18 days. So how's it been so far? Uh, it's been fascinating. I mean, really, there, there's no way, uh, despite the fact that uh, our director, uh, a woman named Erin Ortman, who's a uh, Helena native, she tried as early as possible to bring in audience members uh, because it's so essential to the to the uh, realization of the of the experience right. to have that participation and the improvisation between the, the actor and and the house. Despite that fact, there's really no way to prepare for you know every show is going to be 
different um, based on so many things, based on uh, the community that we're playing in, and then, you know, every specific audience member that we're engaging with um, in the more, there, so there are more, uh, there are parts where the audience member engages a little bit more and we cast them as either the character's father or right. childhood uh, school counselor, things like that. So it's been, uh, it's been this amazing lesson in flexibility and uh, listening, gauging, really having to kind of get out of the way and see uh, as much as possible, as quickly as possible, who you're in the room with, who, uh, you know, what people are going to be comfortable with, but also to a certain extent what their values are, what level of dialogue uh, or discourse they're comfortable with, um, how much you can play and, and uh, tease and just kind of have a good time with them uh, versus when you need to sort of pull back and, and be a little more... Uh, respectful or or be listening rather than rather than uh, trying to present a whole sort of goofy you know uh, as a performer it's it's tempting especially as we do the show more to want to find new stuff and yeah. keep it entertaining for us right <laughs> um, which is uh, understandable but um, you know for people who are not used to speaking in public um, that can be a lot to <laughs> for, right. for me to say, you know, come on, like I've been doing this for three weeks, like right. let's uh, let's crack it open a little bit, let's let's have a good time, as opposed to people who you know have either never spoken in public or uh, or improvised or things like that, where you uh, of course need to need to be very gentle with it. So um, so really just making sure to stay connected with the um, the real mission of the tour, which is. Honesty uh, in in that dialogue, but really being um, being as much a voice as a uh, as an ear, if that's a thing that people say. Um, but taking in taking in the places that we're going to and, and the individuals that we're dealing with, and listening as much as as much as much as talking. Can you talk about how the audiences have been so far? Like maybe something that surprised you about them, or something unexpected. Well, we've had a, quite a variety of audiences, um, uh, anywhere from 18 to about 100 uh, is what we're kind of in the range of right now. And every community is so different, but yet there's some really mm, universal things that are going on in each audience as well. And, and as well as like culturally in Montana, we have a lot of this idea of like cowboy up, you know, pull your bootstraps up, put your big girl panties on. and People talking about those similar themes in each one of those. Uh, you know, last week, Ryan and I talked at length after a couple of the shows about how important it was for us as artists to be vulnerable and how hard that is, but how essential that is for the mission of what we're doing with this show, that we can't just hide behind this character um, during this particular piece. That it's essential when we do the talkbacks afterwards, which in each community we try to find professionals uh, and lay people, school administrators, anybody uh, or um, survivors or people with life experience to come on stage and sit with us and talk with the community about resources in the community, problems or solutions that are happening in that current culture. Uh, so in looking at that, Ryan and I started talking about yeah, that importance of us not hiding behind this character and really being vulnerable about why and how we did this. And 
Ryan was really kind to push me into that a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I was much more comfortable doing it in Helena when I did the run in the fall. But getting out into these communities where I didn't know anybody, it was a little trickier to get over that bump. Uh, but the first night that I started sharing in the talk back about my own suicide attempts in high school, and then uh, the depression and suicidal ideations that I had in my late 30s again, um, and what my coping skills were, and how that had changed so much in 25 years in my recovery, that really opened a co- the community up in a different way. Uh, and both of us saw that immediately and how important that was and what a force that is when one person can come into a community or even one person in the current community in the current community can crack open that little piece of vulnerability in a way that is so revealing. It really encourages everybody else to be a part of the solution in that very way, which is a big part of getting rid of this stigma in Montana about um, mental illness and um you know, getting away from these ideas about, you know, pull your bootstraps up and instead really uh, opening to finding connection and solution with each other. I agree. That was, um, yeah, that was an important part of the evolution, which was uh, I've not spent um, a whole lot of time in uh, this, with with dealing with this kind of material, um, sort of presenting this kind of material in public, and so there, I think, was a, uh, a period of adjustment to it that started with being, you know, having kind of kid gloves on and wanting to be um, tonally, like, a little bit austere, a little bit um, kind of um, just very careful, uh, and then once I saw the response that was getting, which was that people were being careful in response, you know, mm-hmm. that the mental health professionals that we we had for our panels were uh, were sort of being careful and watching every word, and then the audience was kind of doing the same. Um, it occurred to me that that part of what we can offer, because uh, for all intents and purposes, I mean, uh, Rosie and I are. Uh, artists first and foremost yes. um, rather than you know neither of us are therapists or um, counselors or things like this and so the thing that I realized we do have to offer is this level of this this I mean literally professional level of vulnerability like that is the, that is the, the practice um, that we're in is is being able to um, move sort of fluidly through the world of like uh, emotionality and expression, uh, in in a similar way to where people aren't that comfortable speaking in public, aren't necessarily that comfortable uh, crying every day, professionally, you know, um, or or you know, for the flip side of that being, you know, uh, um, you know, genuinely getting to these places of of silliness and joy, um, and so so realizing that that was actually something unique that maybe we had to offer in in response to to that stoicism or to that um, to that culture of of wanting to keep things repressed uh, or not talk about difficult things. Um, so that if if there's something that uh, we could bring, it was that it was that frankness um, and the and the the and. Just letting people see somebody engaging with heavier material and not 
be weighed down by it, not be kind of crushed by that, but but um, you know do that in the same in the same evening as that we're dancing and joking around and, and uh, you know, improvising and, and yeah. being really playful and recognizing that those, that, um, you know, all of those things can exist in the same, in the same world. And truly, you know, theater as a collaborative art is extremely cathartic yes. as well as one of the most efficient vehicles for empathy. You know, it really helps us to take a walk in someone else's shoes uh, or be able to see things that we haven't yet put uh, words or actions onto out loud in front of us in that way. It's a quick access to our emotions and our brain in a way that other things don't always get to in live theater in particular. Yes, yeah. Like there's some sort of distance that we can have when we're watching Netflix. We can push that computer away just a tiny bit. And although it is very visceral in some ways, it's not the same as being in front of a live performer, watching them have a real experience with an emotion. And Ryan and I do not um, we don't fake cry on stage. <laughs> we genuinely connect with our own experiences here and get to these points that hit us within this play. And there are different points every single night. There's different points with different audiences. There's, there's different reactions to wa- watching someone else in the audience have an experience and how it hits you while you're performing on stage in that moment. And, um, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to hold that space and stay with the audience and, be able to cry and laugh and um, and giggle and ache all together in the same room. I think the show does a really good job of balancing that humor and uh, a tough subject because sometimes shows that deal with suicide or, or mental health can just be really a drag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Draining to sit through. You know, I mean, they're important things to do, but um, the humor in this is really... Yeah. Uh, I believe that people walk out of here with, um, with energy and the feeling of a call to action, whether it's in their own lives or in their larger community, but it really does inspire um, that energy and action in a way that some other pieces have not yet. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the other thing. The the sort of evolution of the show as as we're on tour, uh, the part that we're kind of excited. We're on a little break uh, of a couple of days uh, before we hit the road again. As I get back on stage this week, uh, I'm excited about bringing that balance to the whole evening, to the talkback um, as well. As I mentioned, that that um, up until just recently has had a tendency to um, to kind of revert to that tone of Kind of the the seriousness and the and the cautiousness um, that a lot of you know a lot of conversation about suicide, for example, or, or, or mental health in general, um, is sort of the default setting of like not wanting to trigger anyone and, right. and sort of being a little bit hands off about it. Um, and so I'm curious to see where that line is of in the discussion of keeping things productive, keeping things positive. And so so a little part of that is is of course after the show these days we've added in this thing of handing out post-it notes and index cards and pens and asking everyone in the house to add their own brilliant things to the list, uh, which actually get used in the shows uh subsequently. Mm-hmm. Um but that 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 
act of uh, asking, inviting the audience to focus on something really lovely or something that brings them joy uh, and writing it down. And then, I don't know, I mean, in, in, in my vision of it, you know, all of a sudden when you write down, like, playing with my dog or watching the sunset or, you know, going canoeing, um, then the next time you have a day off or an evening off, you're like, oh, yeah, that thing that I love, yeah. <laughs> I should go do that. I don't want to lie to those nice people <laughs> who brought the trunk all the way to my town. <laughs> yeah. well, so you guys are on tour till the 22nd of July before you get a break. Is that right? Well, truly, we're on tour through the beginning of August. August 4th right now is our last show that is uh, currently booked. Um, on the 22nd, I, I get a... I get to go back to Missoula and teach theater camp for right. five days. And Ryan actually has about two to three shows oh, that week. So <laughs> yeah. So break is real relative, yeah. but that's the first time that we'll be, you know, uh, have a day or two off or be able to see some friends and family again. But right now we're on kind of like the long northeastern tour of the state uh, where we're going to um, go up and hit Malta and Glasgow and Plenty Wood. And then go on to Glen Dive and ooh, everything from there. <laughs> Lame Deer, Big Timber, Red Lodge, Bozeman, Belgrade. So we'll go down south and to the center of the state. And then Billings. I mean, it, I, there's so many places, it's hard to name them all. Yeah, and you can find that schedule on the on the Grand Street uh, Grand, yep. website. GrandStreetTheater.com is where you can find it with the Every Brilliant Thing tour. Yeah, and we do have some Facebook events uh, on there as well. So if you want to go to Facebook and like Grand Street Theater, you will start to see that they have all those events. So each date is connected to our Facebook as well. And who are the other sponsors of the show? Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, Town Pump, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield is our big contributor, um, as well as MDU Resources. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. The show was awesome. Uh, it's, I think it's a really important thing uh, to get out there, and it was entertaining. Um, I hope the rest of the tour goes well. Yeah. Lovely. Thank yes. you so <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recovery Talks Podcast from Montana's Peer Network. You can follow us here on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at our website, mtpeernetwork.org, so that you don't miss any of the great things that we have to offer. Have a wonderful day. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery.